0: for River City Lifestyle Magazine. Today, I am joined by Michelle Johns, founder and CEO of Transforming Wellness in Germantown. Thanks for coming on today, Michelle.
1: Hi, Kit. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yes, absolutely. We are so excited to really get into what Michelle does with her business, um, Transforming Wellness. And I think we really need to start first with understanding who you are before we can fully understand what transforming wellness does. So give us a little background on who you are and your journey to get to where you are now.
1: Okay, man, that I, there's so many parts of me. I'm like, where, where do I start with who I am? <laughs> so um, first, I think I, I think I'll start with, um, yeah, presently what I what I what, like you said, what led me to opening and uh, the business transforming wellness and and turning what Transforming Wellness is, is a a center for mindfulness-based practices. And what led me there is, um, well, first of all, I I started practicing yoga in, I think it was 2007. And for me, I started practicing out of curiosity. I would pass by this hot yoga place. Um, It was Bikram yoga, actually. And I was curious about what that was. And then I read about it online. And I thought, okay, I'm going to try this out. And the next thing I knew, I was going pretty much every day. And I think I was going for the challenge of the practice. Mm -hmm. And I was really trying to, like I did everything else in life, trying to perfect it and getting frustrated when it wasn't happening so fast. And in that practice, one of the yoga teachers said to the the group, and that we're practicing that day, um, how you do anything is how you do everything. and how you practice yoga tells me everything I need to know about you. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting so irritated by that statement and looking at myself in the mirrors and thinking about how I was doing what I was doing in that moment in that yoga practice, right. and how that correlated to how I was doing everything in life. Mm-hmm. and just the frustration of when things aren't perfect or when I'm not doing things to what I think is the level that they need, need to be done, mm-hmm. how I respond to that internally, right. more than even externally, but also externally. Right,
0: and so from there, you felt maybe that challenge or that push, and so where did you go from there after practicing yoga every single day and feeling that? I think it's interesting, I was, I was 37 years old at the time, and I
1: was thinking in that practice, I started really thinking about why that bothered me so much, right. the statement. About how you're doing, how you're practicing yoga, tells me everything about how you do anything in life, and why it seemed to impact me so much internally uh, that I started really exploring that, and that's when I really started doing more of an internal journey of where I'd been in life and my whole life story mm-hmm. up until now. You know, in that moment, like up until that moment, we have the saying. Um, mm-hmm. As I'm also a mental health therapist, and I went back to school later in life as a second half of life career to get a master's in counseling. And there's a saying that I have with my clients that I adopted from one of, one of the places that I worked with, there's, it's, there's life up until now and life from now on. Mm-hmm. And so that there's always those moments, right? There's always life up until now and life from now on, if that makes sense. yeah, absolutely. And so for me in that moment, there was life up until then. Mm-hmm. And it really caused me to do this deeper reflection and come to terms with what have I experienced in life up until now? And how has that played a factor into who I am right now and how I'm approaching life right now and what needs to change, which actually was a very painful journey.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. what,
0: when you were asking that question of what needed to change, what were like the main things that you were really confronting after that?
1: I think, well, I definitely was confronting internal, um, what I would know now is shame and guilt. I think at the time I wouldn't have called it that. I think that I would have... I would have probably externalized. I know I was still trying to externalize while I was internalizing Mm -hmm. and looking back on that moment now, it was just coming to terms with, wow, that hurt, that statement actually hurt Mm -hmm. and... It hurts to look back on yourself and see how we, I, for me, how I'd responded to certain situations, how I would, would rather have responded to them in a much more graceful manner and hope that I'm doing a better job of that now mm-hmm. and practicing that in life. And also knowing today that there are moments that I'm not as gracious as I would like to be and that there's an opportunity to make a repair. Mm-hmm. And continue to move on in this journey of what is not perfection, but achieving being a better version of myself every single day of life. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And so you said you were 37 at that point. Mm -hmm. And so then after confronting those things, realizing, you know, taking a look back, taking a look forward, what was that next step for you then?
1: So within a year, I knew I wanted to become a yoga teacher. I think that I, I, that first year of practicing, I, I realized that this practice was giving me so much, and I wanted to share back that sort of – I wanted to share that um, insight back with mm-hmm. others, and that I saw the power of being able to influence that connection with others in um, as, a, as a, a, a leader or teacher in, in that practice, and I really wanted to be able to share mm-hmm. – that aspect of the journey with people that wanted that part of the journey. Because some people don't. Some people want to go to a yoga class and they're like, I just want to sweat. I just want it to be exercise. It's another part of the exercise that I do. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to think any more deeply about it than that. And for some people, it's a deeply introspective journey.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So then from there, you knew that you wanted to become a teacher and pursue that. How did transforming wellness become all that it is now? Because that's a big leap from, you know, pursuing a, you know, the yoga instructor, that journey, of course, that's a big one in and of itself. But, you know, now looking at what transforming wellness has become with all the different facets and everything, how did that go from there to where it is now?
1: Yeah. So yeah, I think that what's what is interesting about it is I always wanted to be a psychologist. Mm-hmm. When I was in middle school, 12, 13 years old, if you said, what do you want to do? And your I was like, I want to be a psychologist. And some of that um, comes from the fact that I I had some family members that struggled with uh, mental health issues. And it was always very, um, it, it, was, it was challenging. And yet I was always really curious to understand more about why and where it was coming from and the ways that they were approaching their treatment, that there had to be a different way. And then in high school, I worked in a psychologist's office, and so I was always really curious about people and how we do what we do. And life just didn't work out that way for me early on. I ended up going to school and then ending up in uh, the corporate world for 15 years, and then... In my mid-30s, the company I worked for was bought by a larger company, and so there was an opportunity for me to transition into a different career. And that's when I started practicing yoga, and then I went back to school and I got a degree in psychology. And I finished that degree, I think I was 42, and then I took some time in the corporate world working as an on-site health promotion specialist. While I tried to decide whether or not I wanted to do life coaching, health coaching, wellness coaching, along the way, I was already developing wellness programs and leading some public talks in the public library and doing some things like that. And then I decided that people would come to me in the corporate wellness field and talk to me about things that had... Everything to do with their mental health and mental well being. Like, these are the things I'm experiencing in daily life, and these are the way they're impacting me, and I have anxiety over this. Or it was way deeper than, I just want to eat better and exercise more. <laughs> And I just, I felt like I needed to take that next leap and go back to school and get a master's in mental health counseling, just to have those credentials. Um, That's just what felt right for me. I know other people stay in the coaching field and that's what they do, but I felt like to really help people, I wanted to have the full spectrum. I hope I'm answering your question. So I ended up going back to school (laughs) and I finished my degree in mental health counseling about three years ago. So I'm 53 now, I'll tell you that. So I was 37 (laughs) when I started this journey of, I would say, healing and introspection and getting to know um, my story in a a different way, really working through what I'd experienced and becoming this woman that I I know I am today and putting these practices into play and knowing how they were so helpful to um, the journey of understanding me. Mm All that to say, um, I knew where I was going with Transforming Wellness. You asked how this all came together in a package. Honestly, kind of somewhere in that uh, 40-year-old range. So, But long before I opened a brick and mortar, I went ahead and got the LLC and the name Mm -hmm. and the website and the Instagram account without actually doing anything with it while I was still in school Mm -hmm. and thinking, I know that I want to do something with mind, body, and soul, and spirit, and I don't know how this is going to really look. And and it's taken me a while to, it's been a journey just to get the whole package to come together. Mm-hmm. And even still, we'll have a different iteration in the next year. Mm-hmm. But today, I have series and workshops and um, retreats that I offer people. And I'm really excited to be where I am today with that journey.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yes, what a journey it, it is. And that piece of it for you of learning about yourself along the way. Is so significant. Um, and I think it's interesting on your website, you describe yourself as a deep thinker, challenger, researcher, connector, seeker, devoted Christian, certified yoga instructor, and mental health therapist. And I thought those words were so powerful, and they really say a lot, and not only about you, but then also about what people can kind of expect to feel when they come into your space or enter into a session with you, and I was curious how you kind of got to those words, because, you know, that's hard to boil ourselves down to something like that, but, you know, you're very in tune with reflection in those pieces, and so I'm curious how you got there to that description. Loaded question. I okay. know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so it's, it's interesting. Because those words are so intentional. I think wor- words words have meaning, and they are so important. Um, so let's see. What? What? Let's start. I have to mm-hmm. kind of look at them myself. The yeah. first. The first word. I I know them all, but I have to kind of go in order. Okay. So deep thinker. Yeah, I am definitely a deep thinker. It's hard for me. It is really hard for me to have surface level conversations, and I have to work really hard on that because yeah. nobody wants to really have deep parties. I mean, deep thinking conversations at parties—you'd rather keep it light. And, <laughs> and, and like, you're like, "No, I don't we're going to go there." I fit <laughs> in here because I'm probably going to go somewhere that you didn't want to go. And so, I, I mean, I think I've had a friend or two say, "Michelle, not everything has to be such a deep conversation." I'm like, "I know," but like for me, it just somehow it is. Life mm-hmm. is just so meaningful. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> and that's I mean where that in your good brain way. lives. Yeah. yeah, it is where my brain lives. Right, it is. Challenger, yeah, I, I don't think that status quo ever makes sense to me. I always want to know, like, why are we doing what we're doing? Is there another way? Not not is there another way to do it just because we need to do it a different way, but because sometimes you can see where things aren't working. Mm-hmm. And are we making space for people to have different ways of doing things and also acceptance for the fact that you might have a different, totally different path and journey to take to get where you need to go than I think you need to take. And I also would like for you to honor that in me and give me space to do that and we can still be friends along the way right
0: right yeah. and because that definition of challenger might not be what people immediately think of filled with that much grace that much acceptance oh, yeah. you know what I mean mm-hmm. like I think sometimes that that word can feel you know more combative whereas mm-hmm. you're like okay yeah we, I might not agree but we're gonna walk alongside that together right. and there's space for that too and then the next one was researcher which i can totally feel from you um, you don't you know go back to school without having that word in you somewhere
1: right well and honestly and i served on research teams both times mm-hmm. so in undergrad at the University of Memphis, I was on um, an adult ADHD research team. Oh, wow. Which was really fun. Yeah. So I ended up um, serving on a research team there and um, getting to, to present at a national level, which I thought was really fun to mm-hmm. be in my 40s and be yeah. <laughs> amongst a lot of college students and uh, presenting this research that I was able to work with one of the professors at the University of Memphis on. And then in uh, when I was pursuing my master's, I worked on a research team about, and it was all about mindfulness-based practices and how that relates to compassion. Mm-hmm. And so that was a lot of fun too. Yeah, I'm so, sure. And I, I often will spend this is really fun for me um, talking about challenging. I I really do think we should ask questions about everything and specifically about our own well being and, and care, self-care. And so when I go to the doctor and they give me a diagnosis and they give me some sort of treatment protocol, I'm always gonna ask more questions about it. Um and like specifically recently. Uh, I went through menopause and (laughs) had to do uh, a lot of research about what that would mean for me and what I wanted to do as far as uh, hormone replacement therapy went and what bioidentical hormone replacement therapy meant. And so for me to research that meant reading a lot of research from reputable researchers, people that have pioneered the path before me. And not taking the traditional route. So I'm not taking the traditional route. And I actually met with three different doctors to get their treatment protocols and then weigh out what the research said and how it supported their treatment protocols. And then made a decision about
0: what I thought was best for me. <laughs> and that, that process in and of itself really encapsulates each term we've already talked about. The deep thinking, the challenging, the researching, the seeking is that journey? Not everyone would do that. Most people would not do that. Um, most people would go to their doctor, accept exactly what they told them and do it, and go from there. But you know, your inclination to question and to research, and you know, not necessarily in that you know, combative way, but in a way that's like, no, I want to know what we're doing here yeah. um, and, and enter into it with that just knowledge that you can feel confident that you brought to the table too which is really interesting.
1: It is interesting and research can go many different ways. So I would really mm-hmm. honor that and say, I could say research shows this and you could also come back and say, well, I've also read research that shows this and that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, what I had a lot of fun and when I turned 50, when in 2020, I did something called 50 days of wellness on my Instagram account. Mm-hmm. And I did a post about um, sweating and saunas and the benefits of sweating and saunas and hot yoga and those sort of things and mm-hmm. a medical doctor commented on my post that she was like show me the research to support this and within 30 minutes I had three links up for her and so I I was like I trust myself I'm never going to give information I haven't researched I'm not going to share something I haven't thought about and she was I think a little surprised she didn't know that she was really challenging me and I was like I love that she did that because for me, it was um, an opportunity for me to tell people that they can trust me and that I am not doing what I'm doing
0: from nowhere. Right. And I think, and I think we're so used to, especially on a platform like Instagram, used to people spreading information that it's like, okay, you say this is right, but I don't, who are you? This is just showing up on my for you page or my discover page. And how do I know that? you know what you say is better than that what those 10 other people say and so that that's a good way to use your platform to then be like no you can trust me like right. you know we're <laughs> we're here and ask me the questions dm me like i i'm open to that and not I think oftentimes in that space, people can get so defensive, Mm -hmm. where it's like, no, this is this is a dialogue here. Like we're here to talk, we're here to, you know, share ideas, share you know what your research maybe looked like, and I think that's a really kind of unique way to approach a platform too, because I think that's harder to find. Okay, the next one was connector, which that one seems very obvious. I think your inclination to connect people, connect with yourself. How else would you kind of define that word for you?
1: I have this, it's interesting. I have this, I think, a really amazing gift. And I know lots of people probably have this gift. So I, we all, many of us share similar gifts, but to connect dots. Mm-hmm. So I can take, and I, nothing's coming to mind for me right now, but in the corporate setting and even in my volunteer work, especially with different organizations, I have this really amazing ability, I think, to connect everybody's piece of the puzzle together and see how they can all work together to create synergy. And to actually line up with missions and mission statements and value propositions. And I've always just really appreciated that gift.
0: Yeah, no, that's super valuable in really any setting, for Mm -hmm. sure. And understanding how to truly value the differences and the people that you're surrounded by, whether that's team members, family members, whatever that is. So that's awesome. And then seeker. So what would you say... That means, what are you seeking? Gosh,
1: I think for me, oh well, seeking is so many things, but I think that's where all the research comes in, like cool. seeking confirmation, seeking um, answers, information, and when I when I put that in terms of mindfulness based practices, for me, what has become more is understanding what's happening for me in particular situations. And what does that mean for me? And seeking better, uh, not just deeper understanding, but also a way to have some compassion and grace Mm -hmm. within my own internal system.
0: Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I think we're always all seeking something, and I'm sure you see that a lot with people that you have conversations with and um, your clients. And I think seeking can mean so many different things for different people, depending on where they're at in life. Um, what they do? Or are they a parent? You know, I think that can take on a life of its own for sure. And you've mentioned this term a couple times, and I would love your not definition, but how you would describe mindfulness-based practices and mindfulness, um, because we've mentioned it a few times with these different words that we've been going into. And I think that you know people's perception of what mindfulness is um, can be very vague, and so I'm curious what how you would really describe that and define that term and that practice? Yeah. I think I, I, I'll i go with John
1: Kabat-Zinn's definition because I think he's sort of the fourth, the the pioneer, we'll say, mm-hmm. of mindfulness and what that means and putting it into practice in daily life. But mindfulness is really being aware of what is happening and where you are in the present moment in time. And so um, one of the things that I think that we do just as human beings in everyday life experiences is we really externalize so much. Like this is happening. This is what's happening. The the person, let's just say you're checking out at the grocery store. The person on the other side of the counter is not being nice to me. That person must really be having a bad day. What happened in that person's life? When really what I should be saying is, right, right now I'm checking out and the person on the other side of the counter, I don't perceive as being really very kind right now. And what's happening for me in that? Well, maybe it feels like, uh, I just got punched in the gut, you know, because, or I have like a ting in my chest, like near my heart, because I feel like, gosh, this is really making me feel uncomfortable. That this person isn't being very friendly. Mm. Why, why is it impacting me so intensely? Why do I feel this, you know, mm. intense feeling in my body? And what's the emotion I'm feeling? And usually we go to, well, I'm angry and I want to put them in their place. Well, why am I so angry? Mm. Well, because it feels really hurtful to have somebody just not be nice to you and You're just trying to say hello and check out and and leave the grocery store. Well, why is that such a big deal? And you just kind of like peeling back the pieces of what's happening in me and for me in that moment Mm -hmm. and to understand the roots of that so that external situations like that that are just daily life experiences that we're passing through don't impact the rest of my day and all day, that I can tune into it much quicker. And once we start doing mindfulness-based practices, things like that don't become such deep thoughts, right? Because those types of experiences don't impact us as intensely. But right, when you haven't done that work, every little encounter you have like that just seems to pile on and pile on and pile on. And they've really just been piling on for a long, long time. Right,
0: right. Does that make sense? Completely (laughs) makes sense. And I feel like too, then if we're not clued into those moments where we're like, where we should maybe check in and be like, okay, what is this? How am I perceiving this? Then we can use that to kind of inform our identity, I think. And in a way that maybe isn't, it's like, okay, wait, why am I allowing that to impact how I'm defining myself in this moment? Whereas like checking into that thought or that interaction in that different way could help a lot, not negatively impacting the way you perceive yourself. And so what would an example or two of a mindfulness-based practice look like?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I was, that was exactly where my mind was going next. So if I break it down at Transforming Wellness in a couple of different ways. So one of them is communication, which I, I feel like I just spoke to. Totally. That, um, and I, and I, that comes from the, the knowledge that everything we experience in life, we experience in our bodies. And then there's an emotional response to, and then there are cognitive thoughts that follow. And that's by intelligent design. When we are born into this world, we don't have verbal skills and we don't have the ability to rationalize or, and we don't have like the the cognitive ability to, to make sense of things, to form logic. We only know what we feel in our bodies when we're babies. We feel the only part of our brain that's fully developed at that time in our life is our brainstem. We have a fully formed brain, but not fully developed brain. And so our brainstem, uh, there, there are nine uh, there are ten cranial nerves that flow from our brainstem, but one that flows throughout our entire body, and that's the vagus nerve. And that is really the the the, the nerve that sends sensations through our body. That's when we we're, we're fight or flight or fawn or um, um, sensations from experiences are are triggered mm. in our brainstem. So when you're a baby and you felt uncomfortable, you had a cry, and if your caregiver was attuned, they would pick you up, and then your whole body would go from being really stiff, and your cry would soften as your body softened if you were hungry you had a cry and if your caregiver was attuned they would say oh that's the hungry cry (laughs) you know that's how we communicated based on how we felt in our bodies that never stops happening but what does happen is between the ages of zero and eight, um, this is all based on brain research by Dr. Daniel Amen and Dr. Dan Siegel, so you can go fact check it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, between the ages of zero and eight, emotions start to develop and that's in our amygdala and hippocampus and we have uh, our memory system, our memories start to form and we start our brains start to keep a record of situations and experiences and we start to have emotions. And what happens is our brain, our brains are so fascinating. I think uh, Dr. Daniel Men says that information travels at like 258 miles per hour in our brains. Wow. And so we have an experience and then we have an emotion and our brain puts those two things together and sends us into autopilot. So it notices your body feels this, this is the emotion that you go with. And so when we think we're caught in patterns and cycles, like I have, you know, when when we get upset, we yell or we stomp out of a room or we go into, we shut down, those patterns begin so long ago. And we started doing those things and our brain does it for us automatically. Wow. Yeah. And then between the ages of 25 and 28, we finally have full access to our brain and our prefrontal cortex is developed and we have the ability to think and rationalize. But our brains process bottom up from the brainstem up to our prefrontal cortex and mindfulness based practices all come from tapping into what's happening and reversing that processing. Can we start to process from the top? Down. So, can I tune into what my body is feeling, slow things down a little bit, recognize the emotion and the thoughts, and then self regulate from? Top down. Mm-hmm. And so when we're practicing at Transforming Wellness, we start with communication. I like to I like to give people this talk that I just gave you about the brain yeah. and yeah. development and like help you understand the communication system that naturally occurs right. in your own brain and then how you start to recognize patterns within yourself and when you start to understand that you have a system of parts, a system of emotions, a system of thoughts, and how they connect together and that when you're in front of someone else, they also have the same thing going on. Mm-hmm. So, how do we develop some a different sense of um, understanding of ourselves and others? But it starts with the understanding ourselves. Right. So that's one thing. So we do some communication and listening exercises. If you do a half day retreat with me, and then and and also communication and listening is woven into mindfulness-based movement. And I'll get to that in just a second, mm-hmm. or maybe now. Maybe that's where I'm going next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we so through mindfulness-based movement, the same thing is. So let's say I'm in a yoga class and I'm doing a practice and. Uh, This is the one that used to get me all the time in in my Bikram yoga practice, touching my forehead to my knee Mm. forever, just wanting to be able to get there and falling out of that particular pose all the time over and over again and being so frustrated by it. Mm. And then getting up and just saying, I'm going to do it today. It's going to happen today. And really trying to force my body to go to a place i thought it i wanted it to go. Right. And then what happens is there's this internal struggle. My body is like you're not ready. You're going to you know you're going to tear a muscle here yeah. or a ligament yeah. or a tendon and like i i i'm not ready. Stop. Mm. And listening to my body and not trying to force it to do something and mm. being compassionate to my own body and knowing that maybe not today, but maybe tomorrow. Today just be where we are. Celebrate the success know that we're not stuck here because I'm going to keep doing this practice and move forward. So that's one way of tuning into a mindfulness-based practice in your body is listening to what your body is asking you to do and responding with care, just like you needed your caregiver to do when you were a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we
0: are, we are so hard on ourselves. Yeah. And do you see that more often than not that people are just very hard on themselves in that way of like no no we're going there regardless of how my what my body is telling me like I'm gonna push through is that more common what you see yeah I saw it in myself first yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I still see it in myself Uh at times and I have Uh to have this internal dialogue of like okay what's happening here and like can you slow that down a little bit you don't have to prove anything here Mm -hmm. this is really where it comes from Mm -hmm. and who am I trying to prove something to yeah. And then there was like, sometimes there's the thought of, if I, if I take the time to slow down, does that mean that I'm accepting um, mm-hmm. some sort of complacency? And it's like, no, that's very different from having compassion and continuing to move and do the practice. Mm-hmm. Accepting where I am today is not complacency. Complacency is not continuing to do the practice. And, mm-hmm. and um, like, there's this, there's this thought in some, in some therapeutic approaches, which makes sense to me, is that I'm doing the best I can today. And yes, I could still do better. Mm -hmm. And so that's true in my mind in my body
0: and in my spirit. Wow. But getting to the place where you can actively, the way you're describing it, I'm like, I feel like it's actively interrupting my pathways in my brain Mm -hmm. that I've been programmed since I was a child. What does that process look like for an adult trying to reprogram that? Because I feel like that would be so hard.
1: It is hard. I think it's hard. I think that the first thing is like if you're just if you're in the mindfulness based body practice yeah. part of uh, of the practice, it is being willing mm-hmm. to accept where you are in that moment with kindness, compassion, and love. So um, maybe I can't touch my forehead to my knee. Maybe I can't touch my toes today, but I'm gonna just place my hands gently on my knees. Maybe even bend my knees slightly if I need to, mm-hmm. and lengthen through my spine. I'm doing a little little talk here <laughs> through the body, <laughs> right? I know where, where our bodies need to go just to lead us there and and hang out there and breathe today and just notice what I'm feeling in my body and understanding that without judging and without needing things to be different. And that is really the crux of the mindfulness-based practice too, not judging and not needing things to be different. If I'm looking at things from an emotional perspective, the therapeutic approach that I I train the most in and tend to utilize the, mo- the most in a... Um, Mental health setting is called internal family systems. Mm -hmm. And it's more about understanding well, okay, I have a part of me that feels really frustrated right now about not being able to do or achieve this certain thing. What can I understand about that part of me that's really frustrated? How do I see it showing up? Where do I see it showing up? How do I sit with that and get to understand it a little bit more with some compassion and curiosity without judging the frustration, right? We tend to say things like, well, I'm just a really frustrated person. it's like, well, no, you're really not just a frustrated person. There are many other aspects of you, but perhaps the frustrated part of you is overwhelming and dominating all the other aspects of you. And maybe you just need to do a little internal work around that. So that usually is done in a therapy setting, and that's really yeah. <laughs> really helpful because that definitely has roots that go way back. And right. so that, that's where I said – Um, doing this internal introspective journey can be somewhat painful because there's this, there's this truth telling in that, but there's also a lot of liberation in it. Right. Like
0: naming the truths and then not judging Mm -hmm. like that can be, Extremely liberating, but very hard for sure because you have to point out those truths first and those can be really hard to face sometimes for sure. Absolutely. Okay, well, I want to hear a little bit more about you mentioned your sessions and things that you can, how people can interact with you, interact with transforming wellness. So walk us through what your sessions look like, retreats, um, and the different kind of components to what you do.
1: So, okay, I want to I I touch on this, too, because we're talking about mindfulness, and I read a lot about where mindfulness gets its roots, and we live in the Southeast, <laughs> and so people tend to go, well, that seems like such an Eastern-based practice, and I just want to say that, as we noticed, I am a devoted Christian, too, and in the Bible, um, sometimes I say, in this ancient text that we refer to as the Bible, I guess <laughs> people can really relate to an ancient text for some reason, um, mindfulness is, is mentioned over 147 times. And so it is It is a practice of all spiritual practices, and it is deeply embedded in the Christian faith and Christian practice. So I really want to speak to that because it does speak to how I, I do things at um, Transforming Wellness. Um, I'm launching a series called the Sacred Space Series, October 17th. It's a six-week class. I mean, six weeks 12 classes every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 6.30 a.m. to 7.15 a.m. And in that practice, we'll start with breath work. Um, I didn't talk a lot yet about this, and, and we may not get to it today, but we use our breath to regulate our nervous system. So we'll start with a breathing meditation in, the, in that series, and then we'll move into some mindfulness-based movement where there's a lot of invitation to understanding and noticing what's happening in your body without judgment and being present and responding appropriately. So this communication with your body, and then we end the practice with a time of prayer. And so that's what the Sacred Space series is about. It's, it's really mind, body, and spirit. Um, when I do wellness retreats with teams or corporations, usually the package is offered to start with some communication and listening-based practices in mindfulness, uh, breathing meditation, and uh, also, some mindfulness based movement and learning how to use movement to upregulate or downregulate your system. So, especially if you work in a setting where you're sitting a lot throughout the day and you may hit a slump at some point in your day, there are some things that you can do with breath and movement to revive your system and get a little more energy yeah. flowing. Sometimes we're really energetic, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we've got a lot coming at us at once and we can't seem to slow our thoughts down. And so, we need to downregulate. So we can again use our breath and our body and movement to be able to do that as well. And that is the practice. And so it's either I can make it into a 45 minute practice like I'm doing with the Sacred Space series, or we can take a half day journey and really dive deep into the mindfulness based practices and off of that, continue to have some sort of ongoing weekly or monthly sessions. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so awesome. Um, And the different ways that you can kind of start that journey, whether it is, you know, doing just that 45 minute and starting there, because we all have to start somewhere. So, you know, but that's very cool. Well, thank you so much. It's been so fun to just, I feel like I've learned a lot today, first of all. Um, So thank you. And why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about where they can follow me on Instagram and your website and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, thank you, Kit. Thank you so much for having me. It's always, I love doing this. I love sharing and talking and I hope that everything made sense and flowed cohesively. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes my mind can go in a lot of different directions and I have a lot of things to say. And so I hope that it all made sense. If it didn't, feel free to reach out to me and ask me questions. But you can find me on Instagram. It's Transforming Wellness. On LinkedIn, it's Michelle Reynolds Johns. Or or Transforming Wellness. I have both. And my website is transforming-wellness.com. And you can email me at mjohns at transforming-wellness.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Michelle, for coming on. It's been such a great time. And yeah, I look forward to future conversations. Me too. Thank you so much, Kit.